A lot of the time we can't seem to make the progress we want to make, in spite of our best intentions. And while sometimes it is our programming or our run planning or our strength training or whatever that we like analyze to death, a lot of the time it's just life stuff that we don't talk about nearly enough. And that's what this episode's about. It's about three things that you may be doing to accidentally sabotage your progress. I'm not saying you're trying to destroy your results, but you might be doing one of these three things, and it might be prohibiting you from getting where you want to go. So if that's if you haven't been getting where you're trying to if you haven't been reaching the goals you're re- trying to reach or getting where you want to go, this episode is probably for you. And if any of this resonates with you, please share it with somebody. Because that is what this thing is all about. Give it five stars, send it to somebody, whatever you can do that helps get this podcast to more people, I'd really appreciate it. Because that's why I make it, so we can all do a little better out there on the trails. Let's get to the episode. Welcome to the Eat Well, Sleep Great, Run Far podcast. My name is Will Franz, and I'm here to help you go farther, faster, and longer without injuries, gut problems, or giving up your favorite foods. We are live. Tonight, I would love to talk about three ways that you might be sabotaging your progress in spite of, you know, having the best intentions, right? Like most of the time, none of us are trying to to mess up our progress, obviously, Um, But we do it anyway, because we make mistakes. And I think one of the biggest issues is that the things that I see people do to sabotage physical physical progress often have like very little to do with like their actual plan or the program they're following or whatever. Like in the gym, it's not like two versus three sets or like 10 versus 12 reps in your strength program, just doesn't make a lot of difference whether your hill sprints are like 10 versus 15 seconds, like for being 100% honest, then those details just don't matter all that much. Like, yes, they matter. If you're doing two versus three sets, three sets, as long as you can recover from them, will create more progress. But it's not going to be like the be-all end-all of what you're doing. Most of the time, the like failure to see progress comes down to like one overarching thing, And it is just a lack of like consistency in the long term. It doesn't matter how much work you put into a week if you end up needing to take the next three off. It doesn't matter how much like you crush it in the gym during your Wednesday session if every other day is filled with beer and pizza. At the end of the day, the number one factor in change is consistency. And if we can't be consistent, then we're not going to see progress. And we can dial in on that a little further. It is not just consistency of something. It is consistency of challenging yourself. If you did 10 biceps curls every day with a 10-pound weight, in the beginning, that would be enough to challenge you if you've never done work with your biceps before. And you'd start to stimulate progress. And then eventually, it's going to get easy And once it gets easy, you need to make it harder again, or you will stop seeing progress. 
you'll have to move up to like the 15 pound weights or do more reps or go with a lot slower with the movement. But consistency is what is going to lead that lead to that being easy. Because in order to like make progress, you have to do enough total work to create change. And if you do work only like once a month, then you will never actually like create adaptations to that work you're doing. And this is one of the primary reasons why going too hard is such a problem. Like if you're trying to get stronger legs, a lot of us want stronger legs because we run on them for hours a week. So you go do squats Monday after work and you know it has to be challenging. So you load the bar as heavy as you can. It's called like 200 pounds for 10 reps. And those last couple reps weren't always the prettiest, but you got them done and you do five sets of that. And on the last set, you actually had to have like your friend help you finish it and get it back to the bar. And you know you did a good job because your legs are really sore. And in the next day, you're so sore, it like hurts to sit down on the toilet and you almost have to like crawl up the stairs to work, but you did it. But then they're still sore on Wednesday and Thursday. And they don't really start to feel better until Friday. And in the meantime, you had to skip the gym on Wednesday because of how sore your legs were. And then come Monday again, you talk yourself out of going to the gym because it sucked <laughs> a lot. Like going that hard hurts. So you talk yourself out of going to the gym and kind of the same thing on Wednesday. And then two weeks later, you finally go back and do it all over again. And this time you actually tweak your back. So this time you're out for like three whole weeks. In that scenario, you squatted 10,000 pounds of total weight which is 200 by 10 by five sets, twice in two weeks. You suffered a lot and you got injured. Now, if we imagine another scenario, like where you do 12 reps of 150, still hard, but it doesn't feel like you're trying to kill yourself. And at this more appropriate weight, you can make your form perfect, meaning you're you know, recruiting more of the muscles you want to recruit and fewer of the wrong ones, like your back. And at the end of every set, you might even be able to do one or two more. Uh, you do three sets and you call it a day. And you wake up the next day a little sore, but fine. And then you don't miss your Wednesday workout because you're not wrecked. And you don't dread it the next week, so you don't miss those either. And in that scenario, instead of squatting 10,000 pounds every two weeks, you squat over twice that. It's like 20,800, I think because you didn't get injured and you didn't get hurt and you didn't point yourself like push yourself to the point of hating it. And you probably actually noticed some progress along the way cuz if you squat that much that heavy that well, you're probably going to like add a rep or two or add a, like a little change plate by the end of those couple weeks. You'll see progress. And that comes down to consistency and why overtraining is such a problem for consistency cuz it like keeps you out of doing what you need to do. Consistency matters more than anything else we talk about. So today, aside from overtraining and whatnot, here are three big reasons I see people fail on consistency, um, like every day. And they're not three that we talk about a lot. One of them is just being too nice. I see this a lot from parents. Like the classic example is moms, but it's often parents in general. Parents put themselves, like put others, their kids, their spouse, whatever, 
before themselves all the time. And while this is really kind up to a point, it can also have like huge negative effects and not just for you. Like, I want to start with a stupid example here um, that came from my life a week ago. You come up to a two-way stop, like you have to stop, the person across from you has to stop, but the cross traffic does not stop. And you see someone coming down the road perpendicular to you. He does not have a stop sign, but he stops anyway, and he waves you through. He tells you to go. This happened to me the other day. I was on a bike. I'm sure he thought he was being really nice. And like it was shortly after a friend of mine got hit by a car, so half of me was really grateful that not everybody is like a murderous dickhead, right? But on the other hand, I was kind of pissed because it made it so much worse. I had already stopped. I had already unclipped. If he had just done what he was supposed to do, then we could have both, like, if he had stopped being trying to be too nice, then we could have both just moved on with our days. Instead, we sat there staring at each other for like 15 seconds, confused. And I see parents do some version of this all the time, where it has negative downstream effects, because the most effective way to lead is to lead by example. And whatever you model, like your children or people who follow you will often learn. And if you constantly model putting others first, then your kids are likely to do that when they grow up too. And I need to be better about this. Like, I am awful. <laughs> I never put myself first to a degree that it's a little self-destructive. And I justify it in a whole bunch of ways. But at the end of the day, like, I'm a coach. And all I'm doing is setting the exact example that I don't want other people to follow. And if I want athletes to take care of themselves, then I maybe need to take care of myself. And I've been doing better about this since having this epiphany a couple weeks ago. Because um, it really bummed me out that I was just not doing the things that I wish somebody else would do. And if you are hoping for people to follow your example, we should set a good one in every way that that means. Like one of my athletes actually inspires me to do this more than this person will ever know. Because whenever I try to like under eat or get no sleep or treat myself like garbage, I think of this person and what I would tell them. And I realize that all of those things would make me a massive hypocrite. And it changes my behavior a little bit. And I just wish we would often treat ourselves as good as you'd like your favorite person to treat themselves. Which brings me to number two. Stop pursuing unrealistic standards that are going to lead you to hating yourself or being frustrated or whatever. Melissa, yep, I've only been putting myself in front for the last year and a half. My kids even tell me that. Exactly. Thank you. It's really nice to hear that from, you know, a mom. Um, and I'm really glad you're doing better on that point. That's awesome. So number two, stop pursuing unrealistic standards that are going to lead to like nothing but frustration, right? First, let's talk about push-ups. So many people I know are terrible at push-ups, and for good reason. They're hard, man. <laughs> like, they're, they're hard. Um, the last time many people did push-ups was in PE class, when they were, like, 12. And since then, you've probably gotten heavier. Uh, a good amount of that was probably not pectoral muscle. And you haven't practiced push-ups. So when you're doing a push-up... I've read anywhere, I've read a whole bunch of numbers, but I've read anywhere as much as like 80% of your body weight you're trying to move. So for me, I weigh 180 pounds. If I'm doing push-ups, I might be pushing up to like 150. 
when I do a bench press, my first set is not 150 pounds on the bar. I'll often start with the bar. It weighs 45 pounds to like make sure my form is good and nothing is like super tweaky. And yet for some reason, when I'm doing push-ups, I just go directly into sets of this. And if you, I think it's because we have this long history with this movement that we expect it should be easier than it is, but it's not. If you wouldn't happily push like 80% of your body weight on a bench press, then maybe we should set some different standards. And without judgment, if I could ban one like piece of language from the fitness lexicon, it would be girl push-ups. If you didn't know, a girl push-up is a push-up on your knees, and I hate that term more than like anything else in, in my industry as far as like language goes. Because if you, one, it's sexist. Like I hope that goes without saying, and I find that really bothersome. But more, like most men, because it's always men, I see get very judgy about girl push-ups. Could probably use to do some. I see their back sag, their core control sucks, they don't go all the way to the floor. They're bad at push-ups but we don't practice an easier version because it makes us feel bad. And then again, like also, if you're going to do a downscaled version, you should elevate your hands. This is just coach me. This is not relevant to the point, but like if you're on your knees, the lever's shorter so you don't actually get the core control. You should like pick your hands up so you actually have to create the plank and like get better at push-ups. Anyway, knee push-ups are fine. That's how I learned to do them many, many years ago or relearned when I was 20, but it would be better if you elevate your hands and slowly like move down to ground. Anyway, same with running. I hear people often say like, I'm so slow. And there's often a pretty good reason for that. Like how much do you run? How often do you do a bunch of speed training? Like how often are you in the gym trying to create power? How long have you been running? Like so many athletes compare themselves to their friends, like people who've been training hard for a decade. And then I have others who compare themselves to their like college athlete selves, even though that was like 20 years and two kids ago. Like you're slow. It's okay. You will get faster with time if you do the training, but it takes a while. Like one of my favorite quotes is most people overestimate what they can do in a year and underestimate what they can do in 10. And it's very true. And it's true on like every scale. Most people overestimate what they can do in a month and underestimate what they can do in a year. And like a year ago, I could barely run two miles. And I was really frustrated at the slow progress I was making on this new sport. And a month from now, I am pretty certain that I'm going to cross the finish line of a 50 miler. And it's going to be slow, but I'm going to finish. And now before like move on, I would not recommend that progression to everyone. I have a long strength training background that like helps prevent stress fractures, but my cardio is terrible. And now it's better <laughs> because this stuff takes time. You will get better. Kipchoge just set the world marathon record. He's 37. He has been running for over two decades, two decades, and he keeps getting better. The timeline of this sport is like long, not eternal, but long. So if you love it, settle in and like get into the journey. 
doesn't mean you shouldn't have drive. Like I love the drive. I love that we want to get better. I love that we want it to get faster. It's one of the things like attracted to me, this community, this like dopamine. I want it now. <laughs> In fact, probably yesterday. And I relate to it really well. But we need to be patient. And doesn't mean you need to like it. Like I heard something from Alex Hormozzi and he wasn't happy about how fast his like business was growing at some point. And he was even more frustrated that he was unhappy about it because he felt he was being impatient. But his wife, Layla, pointed out that he's actually very patient. He, wants, he wanted progress to be faster. He was pissed about it. He hated that it wasn't faster. But he didn't allow that to change or move him away from what he knew he needed to do. He just kept doing the things he needed to do. So Layla told him, like, you're very patient. You just hate it, which sunk well for me. Historically, I've been very impatient, like legitimately. And I've always allowed like a lack of quick results to change my actions. Um, even if I knew I was on the right path, this is why I lost like 50 pounds in nine months because I just plummeted the scale down. And I don't think that's necessarily a good thing most of the time. I think it leads to a lack of ability to actually hit your potential. And I think it leads to a lack of ability to, you know, maintain your results. You can be patient and hate it, but we still need to be patient. And we need to commit to the long game if we actually want to see the progress we're trying to see. Which brings me to number three. I think a lot of people try to do this alone in one way or another. Like, nobody succeeds in this alone. It doesn't need to be anybody else particularly, but some support's useful. Like, I was having lunch with Joel Cervantes the other day because he'd flown in from Moab 240, and he and I were going to grab a bite to eat. I was telling him why I was so drawn to this community, even though, like, at the time I found ultra running, I hated running, right? This community just made sense to me. And I'm not sure that's a compliment. <laughs> it might be a dig on like all of us, myself included, but I related nonetheless. Because you all love doing, we all now, love doing hard stuff. You put in the work for like no other reason than knowing you have to. You relentlessly pursue like really hard goals. You're often stubborn. And I knew coaching ultra runners would be hard, but like it's a community with a very long oral history who doesn't always appreciate the help and like a famous endurance athlete, his name's Crowey, he's Australian, uh, called this community a bunch of wild stallions. And it's really hard to reign in a wild stallion. In fact, you can't ever really fully do it. You have to lean into the chaos a little bit from time to time. And I love that. This is a group of people that like hates doing the boring work sometimes, often, whatever that may be for you. For some, it's taking like sweat tests, right? Like the five minutes it takes to figure out your hydration that screws so many people over, but it's really boring, even though it's five minutes. For some, it's figuring out how many calories you need during a race. It's 10 minutes on the back of a napkin, but again, boring. For some, it's strength training. A little more time here, 30, 45 minutes, maybe up to twice a week if we're like in the off season, but still like 
pays off. And then for me, it's stretching. And this is the dumbest one. It's literally two minutes a day I could spend on this and I would see progress. And it's just, I fail to do it all the time because I hate it and I find it boring. I don't find it hard. I don't find it painful. I find it boring. And so many people in this community would work like ruthlessly hard to the point of like duct taping their own feet and getting life-threatening case of rhabdo. If you know, you know. Um, then just do the boring work. And I get it. Like, I'm terrible at this stuff sometimes. Like, I'm awful at like, running a business because there's so much stuff I'm supposed to track um, and moderate and take care of. And I hate it. So honestly, I just don't do it most of the time because it's so oppressive to my brain that if I try to make sure I do all that, then I just stop doing what I wanted to do, like help people. And if I have to track, like, how many people followed whatever on whatever social media, then I probably wouldn't make the post in the first place. But if I just make it, I end up creating like a whole series on how to train your soleus in your calf because so many of my athletes have had calf strains. And I'm actually pretty proud of that one. If you want it, it's on Instagram somewhere um, near the top. It's pretty recent. But we could also just ask for help. <laughs> and like, if we don't ask for help early, this is another thing I see that's a side effect from this. We often ask for help too late. Like some of these races should take six to 12 months to train for. Um, and that's if you already have a pretty solid base under you. And I'll have athletes message me like two months out from a hundred mile race in a, at least a mild panic because their training hasn't been going to plan and keep throwing up. They just don't think they're going to hit their goal. And at that point, yeah, you might not. And I can try to help or somebody else could try to help. Like any coach can try to help with two months notice, but the hay is mostly in the barn and you can make some progress, but your biggest issue, like if, you're, if your biggest issue is hydration or food or something, like you can absolutely fix that. Um, if you just need a good training camp to get out of your head, you can do that too. But if you're trying if you're really slow and you're worse up hills and you're trying to run a hundred mile mountain race you might not have the time to build the power and the speed to fix your cutoffs and it's going to be cutting a very fine line like for overtraining spectrum to build that and like if you have big plans or goals then we need to do the important work earlier and that often almost always means getting a little bit of support either from a running buddy or the like communal hive that is social media and <laughs> Instagram and Facebook or hiring somebody or whatever, but get some help and get some help early. That way you'll hit your goals a little better. If anybody else has questions, please pop them in. I'm going to summarize real fast. The biggest thing that matters when it comes to your progress is consistency and three things that I often see people do to sabotage said consistency are being too nice, like not taking care of yourself at all. Two is like pursuing unrealistic standards or just like not pursuing the long game. And then three is trying to go at it alone, which often leads to waiting until it's too late to get the help that you need. And if any of those things, three things sound like you, I, you know, I'm here to chat. Other people are here to chat, post in the group. That's what it's for. 
And if any of this resonated with you and you think someone else might benefit from hearing it, I would love if you shared it with them. That's why I do this. So that more people can like join our little trail and ultra running nutrition community and learn and benefit. And we can all like create this helpful space so that we don't end up deeply in number three. See no more questions. Thank you all for watching. I will get this up as a podcast episode shortly. Y'all have a great rest of your night. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the show. To be clear, I'm not a doctor nor a registered dietitian, and nothing you heard was medical advice. You should always speak with a qualified medical professional before making any changes to your training regimen. If you enjoy the podcast or found it useful, please take a couple seconds to give it a rating or share it with a friend. Every little bit helps. And if you want more of this information, please head to the Trail and Ultra Running Nutrition Group on Facebook. You'll be in good company with other like-minded people who like to do hard stuff outside.